You may have a seat. Good morning. Thanks for being here. Welcome to New Cove. If you are a guest or if you're visiting or if you're joining us online, uh, I wanted to say welcome and uh, we're glad that you're here. Um, hope you're enjoying your holiday weekend. I know that we did. Uh, it's been uh, kind of a fun weekend. Um, lots of time with, with family. My parents live uh, near here and so we were able to celebrate with them all day on Thursday and uh, with my brother's family and um, enjoy some, some delicious food and some uh, uh, naps afterwards, and as one does on Thanksgiving. Um, Friday, well, we won't talk about Friday as a Husker fan as much, um, but it was uh, still a fun experience to be uh, out in, in the cold and cheering with, with a whole bunch of fans that really wanted to win that day. Uh, and, uh, and then we... we uh, it's, it's funny, at my house, we, we have this unofficial rule that uh, there's no Christmas music before Thanksgiving. Well, thank you. I got an amen. That's good. Uh, you know, I just, I like to have the season where we're talking about giving thanks and, and kind of just being thankful instead of like just jumping past that from, from Halloween, of all things, to Christmas and so, uh, so we joke at our house that uh, when, when I'm in the room, when I'm in the house, they don't play any Christmas music. Now, I don't know what happens when I'm away. I'm pretty sure, like, if I look at the Amazon playlist or our Spotify playlist, I'm pretty sure I'd see a lot of Christmas tunes before Thanksgiving. But 5 o'clock, seriously, 5 o'clock on Thanksgiving, we're done with the meal, and my wife is turning on uh, the Christmas movie to watch. Like, it's... it's it's, it's like a switch. It's flipped, and now we're into Christmas mode. And honestly, I, I do get excited about that time. Uh, so uh, Saturday morning, we went out and got our tree, which was awesome because it started to snow Saturday. So, like, it got us right in the holiday spirit, the holiday mood, just immediately. Everything was just kind of right in sequence for me this year. Um, and, and I love that. And then we, we decorated it last night and, and kind of just enjoyed uh, the the kind of break from just the busyness. Uh, Cole was home, and, uh, and so we just enjoyed all of that. Um, how many else, who, who else like put up trees and stuff this weekend, put up decorated? Who did it before Thanksgiving? All right, all right. Jesus loves you too. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's, it's, this is what it's about is that we, we start to look forward, right, to this celebration. Um, and, and part of that is just the, you know, the family that we get to experience um, with uh, the, the, the gifts that we get to give and receive, um, the way that, that Christmas kind of kindles something in us that, that calls us to be more generous and more patient and more kind with those around us. And, uh, and we get excited about that. We get, look forward to that. Um, we should also take some time, though, as we're going into this season to think through what we're kind of carrying with us into the season. You know, what are the, what, what do we hope to get out of this season? What do we hope to get out of Christmas? Uh, I know that if, if we're not careful, and I know this for myself personally, then one of the reasons maybe I get kind of anxious and, and don't want to, like, enter the season too soon is because I know how much work is involved with, with this time of year. Uh, both as, as, a, as, a, as a pastor, but also as a dad, 
and as, as a person who wants to be present with those around me, like it just gets really busy this time of year, right? So we have to think through what do we, what do we want to get out of this season and what does this season have to offer us? If we're not intentional, we can completely miss that Jesus was born for us, the miracle that that is. What, is, what does Jesus bring into this season? You know, what uh, can we make space in our days and our weeks for God to speak to us during this season of Advent? Um, this year, we're going to look at Advent and Christmas through the lens of Luke 1 and 2. And I'm excited about this series, as Dane mentioned, because it's called the Songs of Christmas. And so we're going to especially be focusing on the songs that we sing, but also a couple of, of key passages in uh, the book of Luke, in le- chapters 1 and 2, and uh, these songs that kind of come out. So let's talk real quick about what Advent is, because, um, you know, it might be foreign to some of us to, to celebrate or talk about Advent, but this is what it is. It's Advent is a season of the four Sundays that lead up to Christmas, so starting next Sunday, December 3rd, 10th, 17th, 24th. During Advent, first of all, we look back on Jesus' birth. That's his Advent as a baby born into the created world. Jesus was born some 2,000 years ago in a small town in a small corner of the Roman Empire. That's, That's the event that we celebrate, right? But consider the context of when and where he was born. Consider how the nation of Israel was waiting for God to rescue them. You know, uh, this book, the, the Bible, the first three quarters of it are devoted to talking about Israel. Israel, their, their history, their, their relationship with God, all the way back from Adam and Eve, all the way through to the kingdom of Israel, and then how the kingdom was broken, and how all the people of Israel were just waiting for God to do something something promised and told by the prophets. They, were, they had no homeland, as, as the Old Testament draws to a close, no real homeland. They have no king. They've been in captivity and exile, and they're struggling to find their identity. All they have are the words of the prophets like Amos. Amos 9, verses 11 through 13 says, In that day, this is God speaking to the nation of Israel, I will restore the fallen shelter of David. I will repair its gaps. I will restore its ruins. I will rebuild it as in the days of old. So that they may possess the remnant of Edom and the nations that bear my name. This is the declaration of the Lord. He will do this. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. So the days are coming. This is where the people of Israel, the Jewish people, were for around 600 years. Just waiting for God to restore, to repair, to rebuild. Not just their nation, but their identity. So consider that context. Consider how Jesus changed everything when he was born. Within 35 years or so of Jesus' birth, there were believers in every part of the Roman Empire, believers who lived for Jesus and would rather die than turn away from following him, from telling everyone about him. Jesus challenged the religious establishment, the oppressive and pantheistic way of life in the Roman Empire. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the bread of life. He touched the untouchable. He lifted up the marginalized of the day. You know, women and and children and um, foreigners and the poor and the sick and sinners. He spent time with them. He loved them. He showed them that they matter. Consider how the faith that that started among the church, that, that Jesus started, how that continues today. I mean, here we are 2,000 years later, and, 
And we're still gathering and talking about it. All over the world, there are people gathering and talking about Jesus. Consider how it has reached you personally, how at some point the story clicked and you were drawn to it by the Holy Spirit, that you wanted to hear more about the story. More than any other event in all of history, Jesus' birth is something to marvel at and to celebrate. It's no wonder much of our cultural experience this time of year still revolves around his birth to Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. We need to look back and to celebrate. Second, Advent looks forward to Jesus' return, his advent to restore all things and reign in the new heavens and earth. Revelation 21, the last, last page of the Bible, tells of a new heaven and a new earth, and in the middle of it is God's throne. And here's what Revelation 21 says. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. He will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. So this, this vision that we have, this picture from John in Revelation, is that one day all things will be made right. The brokenness that we experience on a daily basis, the, the things that cause us to cry out to God, will be uh, made new, will be restored, will be uh, made right. We know this world is not as it should be. We look forward and we pray for Jesus to come. No more death, no more grief, no more pain. Jesus makes all things new. You know, a, a few years ago, uh, when I was in my studies, I, I had a professor who taught for a, a, just a little bit on the, the Greek phrase, Kyrie eleison, Christe eleison, Kyrie eleison. It's a formula that you hear in some liturgical churches. But that started to become a prayer of mine whenever I would hear news of whatever, a shooting, uh, injustice, heartbreak, I started just crying out to God, Kyrie eleison. It means Jesus come. It means Christ come. God, have mercy. So this, this idea of kind of asking God to meet us in these places and knowing that one day he will be with us fully. He will wipe every tear from our eye. Like we will be with him face to face. And, and the promise of that and the hope of that gives us strength to, to kind of uh, look past the, the, the hurt that we see, or look to go to it and to heal it, to bring that healing and that hope that we know. Advent can be a frame of mind for every day, you know, looking forward expectantly, knowing with confidence that Jesus will come again. And third, during Advent, we look for Jesus' presence today, his Advent in our hearts, in our lives. One of the things that we'll pray near the end of the service is that Jesus will renew our hearts during this season. Again, we can go through the entire season without really thinking about Jesus and in this event and without kind of coming at his feet, adoring him, beholding him. Presence, family, meals, events, time off school and work, they're all great things, but, but we need to bring Jesus into it. We can go through this season seeking Jesus and asking him to be present in our hearts, asking him to, to, to transform us. So... Uh, those are kind of the themes of Advent as we go through the next four weeks. Also, we, we're going to light a candle each week, and this is something we've done just for the past few years. Uh, but a candle is a reminder of the light of Jesus. And, and I want to do just a little illustration here that's going to be a little unusual. I hope I've got some volunteers. Yes, we do. Okay, so 
I'm not going to light any of these yet, but we've got these four candles that represent the four themes of Advent, and then we've got the Christ candle. And the thing about candles is that they bring light. And don't anybody be alarmed here. It's going to be okay. But I just wanted to point out how much light a single candle can provide. So we got the Jack. Are you back there? Maybe. You want to check true? Oh, there we go. Yes. There he answers. Okay, so we're going to drop all the lights in the room that we can anyway. I'll kind of close my computer screen here. So just, just as a reminder, when we talk about Jesus being the light, when John 1 says Jesus is the light, this is the image that I have in my mind is that everything is, you can see a candle from, from a long way off. And it's an illustration that, that uh, as, as John 1 says, the, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it, okay? Let's bring up the lights again. Go ahead, Isabel. There we go. Okay, back to kind of normal. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. That, this light has, has power to it. And it's a reminder that Jesus shines to those who are living in darkness, to those who are experiencing darkness in their lives. Just kind of a, a, a reminder, and, and the reason that candles are such an important part of, of our trees and of the Advent season, anytime you see one of these, you can remember that, that Jesus came, that he shone in the darkness, that he shines in our own lives, and the importance of that. That, that the creator God said, let there be light, first and foremost. That this is at the, beginning, uh, it's at the beginning of the story, it runs all the way through the story, that Jesus is the light. So that's Advent. We're going to have some weekly readings to remind us of the hope and peace and love and joy that we experience this time of year. We're going to light a candle and uh, we're going to celebrate in that way. Now, this morning, for the rest of my time here, let's talk about these first couple of chapters of Luke. So Luke, let me tell you a little bit about Luke as, as just an author. Uh, what we know of Luke is that he was a traveling companion of Paul. We see him mentioned in Philemon. In Colossians 4, he's called the dearly loved physician, Luke. Um, in 2 Timothy 4.11, he's the only disciple who stays and uh, spends time with Paul, who is in chains at this point. Um, he's mentioned. Luke uh, wrote both the Gospel of Luke in our Bibles and Acts. Okay, that comprises over a fourth of the New Testament that we have. So Luke is, is kind of a, an important figure. In fact, he, he writes percentage-wise, word-wise. He wrote more than any other uh, New Testament author. So Luke and Acts, both written by the same author here. We know that uh, this particular book both books, uh, Luke and Acts, the audience is Theophilus, which is probably a, a, a patron. It's probably somebody who uh, hired Luke to, to do the research, to do interviews, to learn, to, to compile all of these stories of who Jesus is and what he did. And, and, then, uh, and then Luke reports back to him, as we're going to read in just a second. Theophilus also means friend of God. So there's some scholars think that perhaps Theophilus is just any person who comes to read this uh, gospel. He's, he's writing to you. He's writing to me. You're a friend of God. You're, you're coming to learn more. Um, it's probably the former. It's probably that he was a, a patron and, because it would have taken a lot of time and energy and resources to compile these two books. Anyway, 
Uh, Luke 1, 1 through 4 is the passage that we're going to spend some time in this morning. If you want to look it up in your Bibles in the, in the pews, that's, it's page 1024. But you can also go over to the Bible events page using that QR code and follow along there. I'm going to read from the NASB because, uh, well, I'm going to get to that in a second here. But let's just go through these first four verses and take a look at how Luke sets up these Gospels, what it can tell us about um, anticipating the birth of Jesus, about the story that Luke is about to tell. So Luke 1, 1 through 4 says, Since many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servant of the word, It seemed fitting to me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in an orderly sequence, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. So let's go through this line by line a little bit. Since many have undertaken to compile an account, by the time that Luke writes his gospel, there is considerable interest in Jesus' teachings and deeds, and there's also other narratives out there, including perhaps Matthew and Mark. Uh, we have, by the way, we, let's, let me show you this uh, slide of, we have the four Gospels in our, and by the way, I don't know what Instagram filter this is, maybe, uh, maybe Icon is a, is a filter. These are called Icons of the, of, of the four Gospel writers. And we have these four stories, right, four Gospels. Um, we've compiled these from scrolls of papyrus preserved for centuries in just the right conditions and then found and assembled and analyzed. And they've led us to these four accounts that agree with each other enough to lead us to believe they are reliable and true. That's how we got these four Gospels that are in our Bible. Three of these, the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the Synoptic Gospels because they have a lot of the same stories, a lot of the same accounts in them. Um, John is, is quite different. <laughs> uh, and so he's... he's his was written a lot later. He includes this kind of preamble at the beginning of, of the theological beliefs of Jesus. But these three have a lot of the same stories. However, the first two chapters of Luke, these are entirely Luke. You won't find them in the other Gospels, and I think that's important. Um, so there's other unique material to the gospel account, and that kind of tells us the different focuses of each gospel, and that's why I've got language like Jesus as king is what Matthew is all about. Mark is all about Jesus as servant. Luke is as Jesus as human. What we see in Luke is, is a God who comes near, a God who touches the untouchable, who, as I said, lifts up those who have been kind of uh, marginalized or, or pushed aside. Back to the passage. The This passage uh, in the NASB starts with the word since, but there's this Greek word that's been omitted from many English translations that translates as inasmuch as, or inasmuch as, two words there. Luke wrote this in the style of historical writers at the time. You have these these writers like uh, Thucydides, a historian and general from Athens. Um, You have Philo, who was a Hellenistic Jew, right at the time when Jesus was born. Josephus, he wrote this Roman, he was a Roman Jewish historian and military leader who wrote the Jewish War, which has been called the most influential non-biblical text of Western history. Okay, so they would write these historical accounts, and they would start with this word, inasmuch as. Um, And Luke uses the same word, account, as well. 
that this is, uh, I, I think it's translated narrative here. No, this is account. So first verse, account. He uses that word several times in his uh, gospel and in the word of Acts. Um, all this points to the fact that Luke wants us to consider this, and he considers this a historical narrative. He has gone to great uh, lengths to make sure that he's giving us the facts of what he's seen and what he has heard. This also, since he put it in line with this type of literature of the time, uh, tells us that the gospel is somewhat political in nature. Luke talks a lot about the kingdom of God and how that challenges the, 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 the government at that time. It's, it's subtle, but it's in there. Um, let's go on through the verse here. Of all the things accomplished among us, accomplished means what it sounds like, but it's important to note Luke, after his research and study, believed that these things happened. Luke is not an eyewitness, but he drew on eyewitness accounts for all of what is written here. We can believe that it's true. Uh, the next verse, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Witnesses are important to Luke. He wants to establish the, the validity of his account. Um, he calls... he refers to servants of the word. That might refer to the apostles, and he sees them as authorities on these matters. They are from the beginning witnesses. And so he is, he's drawing on them, but he's saying, again, this is reliable. Uh, it seemed fitting to me as well. There's this kind of cool parallelism that you see in Luke's writing. Um, at the beginning of this passage, since many have undertaken parallels with it seemed fitting to me as well. We have to compile an account at the beginning of the passage, we have to write it out for you at the end. We have handed down to us, we have so that you may know. Luke kind of writes in this way where he, he parallels the, these ideas, um, which I just think is cool. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit more about some of those in a second here. Anyway, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning to write it out for you in an orderly sequence, most excellent Theophilus, um, so that, here we go, here's the point, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. Luke wrote this gospel and Acts to strengthen and support the teachings of Christ for Theophilus. The major themes that he brings out through this gospel and through Acts are, um, well, salvation is offered to men. The central theme of the writings of Luke is that Jesus offers salvation to men. I've mentioned that there's this political nature. When we have language like Savior, Kingdom of God, in the setting of the Roman Empire, that would be uh, controversial. It would be, uh, it would be subversive to the Roman Empire. And as, as we mentioned, Jesus, another major theme is that Jesus changes everything, as, as Tim would say. Um, that when Jesus arrives on the scene, everything changes. Well, what's the point? First, this is another reminder that, that this book, the Bible, is, is true and reliable. It's the true and reliable foundation of our faith. As we read last, last week in Ephesians 2, we build our foundation on the teachings of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. When we encounter something in the Bible that we don't understand or doesn't sound PC or sounds exclusive, we have two options. We can, one, reinterpret what we're reading, explain it in a way that matches our own thinking, or two, we can believe that it's true and reliable and written down by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We can ask God to renew our thinking to understand it, to bring illumination, to help us think and move and love under the influence of that same spirit that, that guided the writing of this book. 
We need to build our lives on this book. Second Timothy chapter 3 says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Uh, this is Paul writing to Timothy, and so he's, that's why we've got the language, so that the man of God, he's talking to Timothy here. But what it's saying is that this book is trustworthy and true. And throughout Scripture, you have these references that the writers are taking great lengths to make sure that you have the true account of Jesus. Now, is there room for questions, for digging deeper, for understanding? Yes, absolutely. I mean, Luke is writing this because Theophilus must have questions. If he's the patron for this writing of this book, then Luke is responding to the questions that Theophilus has. There's room for questions. We just need to learn to interpret Scripture well. Ask questions. Don't Google. Ask. Talk to people around you that you trust. Talk to the friend that you know has his Bible out every day. Talk to to Chris or Troy or Brent or Katie or Suze. Ask the connections class teachers or have a talk with, with a friend who about what a passage could mean. You know, learn. Do it in community. This is where it happens. That's the first point, I think, of what Luke is saying here. This is reliable and true. Um, the second thing is we're going to spend the next few weeks in Luke and 1 and 2, and it's, even though he's set it up as this historical narrative, it's, it's unlike any narrative you've ever read or heard. So let me kind of fly through uh, this real quick. Let's look briefly at Luke's 1 and 2. And, and if you have your Bible and want to kind of look through this, I'm going to call out a couple of passages here. First, the structure of Luke 1 and 2 is, is interesting. As I talked about earlier, he's got these parallelisms that happen. So you've got the birth of John and then the birth of Jesus after this preface. And then you have the meeting of, of the mothers. And then you have... Oh, I'm sorry, you've got the announcement of John's birth and the announcement of Jesus' birth. So this is Gabriel coming to uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. This is Gabriel coming to Mary. Meeting of the mothers, so of Elizabeth and Mary. Then you have the birth of John and then the birth of Jesus. You have the presentation of Jesus to Simeon and Anna at the temple. And you've got the conversation with the scholars in the temple. There's a parallel between the beginning of this whole passage. It takes place in the temple the end takes place at the temple. You've got these two instances at the end that kind of take place in the temple. There's all these kind of parallels that, that Luke is doing very intentionally. He's comparing John and Jesus, who he calls both of them prophets. You know, both births are foretold by Gabriel. Uh, but he's also contrasting them. John is kind of the successor of the Old Testament prophets, but Jesus is the son of the Most High God. You have this kind of rhythm that happens in this, these two chapters of praise and prophecy. We're going to talk about the songs in a second here. They are songs of praise and prophecy, and they go back and forth. Let's talk about those songs. Uh, these songs are sometimes called canticles. Canticles are any song that happens in the Bible outside of the Psalms, Okay. You see at least a dozen of them in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament there are several greater canticles or evangelical canticles. 
They were kind of called to attention early in, in the history of the church. They're still used daily in the rites and, and the worship of, uh, of several denominations. Three of them happen in these next two uh, uh, chapters. So let's talk about the songs. And this is where we're going to go with the messages over the next four weeks, is talking about each of these songs individually. The first one that happens is called the Magnificat. Um, the Magnificat starts... Do I have it up there? Oh, yeah, there we go. Luke 1, 46 to 55. It's called the Magnificat because the, the Latin is Magnificat anima mea dominum, which means my soul magnifies the Lord. So we get this Magnificat. The summary of this is, is it's Mary. It's, she's singing, my soul praises God. He has brought down the proud, raised up the lowly. He remembers his promise to our people. Historically, this is among the, most, the eight most ancient hymns of all of Christianity. And today it's still used by Roman Catholic and Orthodox liturgies. It's used in Lutheran Vesper services, in Anglican services of evening prayer. This is a, a very powerful song. Um, and hopefully you're hearing some of those themes of Luke come out in these songs. Uh, the next one that we're going to talk about is called the Benedictus. The Benedictus is uh, it's a prophecy by Zechariah. It's in Luke 1, 68 to 79. And again, the Latin is where we get the name for this. Benedictus Dominus Deus Israel. Blessed be the Lord of our God, Israel. A summary of this one is that God has visited and provided redemption salvation, mercy. And so we are to respond in service and holiness. Because this is one that Zechariah the father, Zechariah the father of John sings, um, he addresses his son John and uh, directly and says that John is going to prepare the way for Jesus to come. And then he, he calls our attention to God's light, that God's light shines on us. Um, from the KJV, we get this King James Version. We get these, this old language that we don't use a lot anymore, uh, words like day star and day spring. We don't use that in, in speech today, but it just means the dawn and the sun, okay? So uh, John is, or I'm sorry, Zechariah is comparing Jesus, comparing God to the dawn in verse one, uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 78, okay? Uh, this is where we get, O come thou day spring, come on high, and the lyrics, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Okay, um, historically, this has been used as a hymn beginning around the 4th century in both the Eastern and Western liturgies, so this has been with us for, for hundreds of years. The third song is uh, the shortest of the ones that we're going to look at. It's the angel's praise in chapter 2, verse 14, Gloria in excelsis Deo, and that's pretty much the entire text there, uh, Gloria in excelsis Deo. A summary of this is that uh, it's... Again, the translation is glory to God in the highest, peace to his people on earth. One of the themes throughout Luke and Acts is the glory of God, giving glory to God. We, you, Luke uniquely talks about uh, Jesus' ascension, which was when he's taken up into heaven. Luke also takes note of how people praised and blessed God when they were around Jesus or in response to what Jesus was doing. So, uh, glory to God, we're going to hear that in that song. And then the final song in these two chapters... Uh, is called Nunc Dimittis. Nunc Dimittis servum tuum domine. Now dismiss your servant, O Lord. This is sung by uh, Simeon in uh, verses 29 through 32 of chapter 2. And uh, the summary is, it's Simeon saying, God, now you can dismiss me in peace. He's 
this is a character who's been living in the temple for, for decades, for most of his life, waiting because he was told by God that he would see God's salvation. And so he's waiting for this to happen. And he finally, when he uh, is told by the Holy Spirit, this is, is the Son of God, he prays this prayer, sings this song, Lord, you can dismiss me in peace. I have seen your salvation. And then he says that Jesus is a light to the Gentiles and the glory to Israel. So you see how some of these themes kind of carry through and, and uh, repeat. Historically, this one was also used in evening worship services since the 4th century. So, uh, takeaways. What do we take away from this? Number one, uh, Jesus is the light that we need this Advent and Christmas. Every day we can see the darkness around us. In broken systems, in the hopelessness that captivates and captures our friends, our family members, even ourselves at times. But that darkness, as the Bible says in John 1, has not overcome the light. Jesus is greater. Jesus is king over all kings. Jesus has the authority to offer salvation to men, to upend the systems that oppress, to free us from sin and to show us a better way. Jesus can bring light into your darkness. Uh, something that uh, we're going to do as a church um, is, is go through an Advent devotional. These are daily meditations that we're going to start next Sunday, December 3rd. And, uh, and we have copies of this in the gathering space. You can grab one now, especially if you know that you're not going to be here next Sunday. But um, I'd encourage maybe one or two per household. If, if, if sharing one of them is, is not going to work, then grab a couple of them. Um, we, we've got, I think, a, a few hundred copies to hand out. And so I want to make sure everybody has this. Um, but these are meditations on how Jesus is the king of all kings. Um, it's going to talk about... Uh, how we kind of anticipate his, his arrival in our lives. Um, it's got questions that you can kind of ponder and, and consider. So grab one of these before you leave today. Like I said, we're going to start the readings next Sunday. Um, so that's how we're going to bring the light into our lives on a regular basis. Jesus is the light. Number two, Jesus is the song that we sing this Advent and Christmas. In each of the songs or canticles of Luke 1 and 2, we see Jesus. As we go through them over the next few weeks, I encourage you to seek Jesus in these words. Ask God to illuminate and change your mind to be conformed to the likeness of the good and beautiful, kind, loving, generous, selfless, patient Jesus. One of the best parts of this season, as we've talked about, is the songs that we sing. They're, they're familiar to us. We've either sung or at least heard them since we were children. And that familiarity touches something deep in our souls. These songs call to us. They remind us of a God who knows us and loves us. A God who created all things and yet came to us as a baby born in a manger. Meek and humble, yet the almighty God of the universe. This season, let's sing these songs with attention to what we're singing. Uh, if you go to the, the QR code, again, the, the, tree, the link tree... There's a link to our Spotify playlist, and usually this is set up as a, a one week. Here's the songs that we sang this week. Um, right now, we've got it set up as our Christmas songs. A lot of the arrangements that we use, and we'll be adding to this through the season. Um, but you can you can listen to the songs of Christmas all through the season if you'd like uh, using that Spotify playlist. 
So kind of close things out, and I'd ask our worship team to come on up. There are three Advents that we sing or celebrate at this time. Once again, we celebrate his coming to Bethlehem to be our Savior. Jesus came to save the world, and that includes you. From sin, from hopelessness, from darkness, from depression, from hurt. He is coming, he has come to rescue us from all those things. Two, his advent is, it's, there's this expectation that at the end of history, he will rescue the world and establish his rule in the new heavens and earth. Jesus will come to redeem all of creation. Let's, this season, look at the world around us, not as something God is rescuing us out of, but something God is redeeming along with, with all of us. Jesus said, I am making all things new. That's hope for each day, and it's something that we can come alongside the work of, of God, helping to bring renewal, redemption, peace with God to those around us. Remember, the third advent is the longing for Christ to come anew in our own lives. Jesus comes to each of us today. Don't miss him this season. The worship team is going to close with a song here, and, and I want to encourage you to meditate on these lyrics Make it your prayer. Ask God to renew you this morning and seek him this season. Uh, we're going to give our offering at this time, and uh, I'm going to come up and close with a couple of words after this song, but uh, let's, let's attend our hearts to him. O come, all you faithful, joyful, and triumphant to Bethlehem. Jesus is born for you. Invite him into your heart today. <laughs>